So, Pastor David is taking us deeper. And he's taking us into growing in maturity. And as he uh, announced that topic and then invited me to bring a word, I wrestled and I changed my mind back and forth. And then there were questions coming from members of the congregation asking me certain things. And that kind of penetrated my thought and my heart. And as I get into it, it's a, it's a difficult topic about the cost of discipleship and the cost of maturity. You know, I think of, of the little grandchildren that Ann and I have, and we're here helping to raise them. And uh, little Lily is tiny. She's almost two years old. And there are bumps and bruises. There are times she falls just along the way. And, and the, the eight-year-old, Izzy, and the, the 10-year-old, Ani, they, they have bumps and they have bruises. And, and it's part of the growth process. We learn that, that life doesn't feel that great. So as I get into this and I want to, to think with you about some things, I, I wanted to give a bit of a, um, a word of encouragement up front. Um, bit of a maybe disclaimer even. As we talk about this, I'm, I'm not sure that, that all of this is, is things that you'll bring to people in the crisis necessarily. Because sometimes your presence and your silence and just the assurance that God loves them might be just what they need. And it's not always a lot of advice. But I want to start by telling about a friend of mine. His name is John Mark. He's, a, he's an incredible theologian. But he's suffered quite a bit in his life. And we all have, it's part of the journey, right? We all have, have things that we're dealing with. But his, his wife died young. They had a child. And the child at age 16 was going through uh, severe health challenges and ended up that Josh died as well, the, the child, the 16-year-old. And during that time when Josh was dying, and I was talking to John Mark, and John Mark told me, he said that people have all kinds of words of wisdom. They have all kinds of advice. They'll say, uh, John Mark, you'll be stronger. Uh, you'll be a, a better pastor. You'll be a better person. You'll be able to minister to so many people because of your pain. Uh, you'll, you'll mature in Christ. And the list goes on of what he heard people saying. And he said, I tell you what, I feel like saying to them, let's stack all of this up and put it on one side. You'll be stronger. You'll be better. You'll be able to minister better. You'll grow. Let's put all of that on one side of the scale. And he said, I'll tell you what, I feel like saying is, you can have all of that. I want my son. And I'm asking for my son. And it was a little time later that I was visiting with him. And I asked him, what scripture do you go to? And he pointed me to Psalm 13. And this psalm is one of those laments 
And in the laments, it's, it's a wonderful thing as David laments and the other psalmists lament. Boy, do they argue with God. <laughs> Boy, do they, they put their hearts out there. And you can put your heart out there with God because I think he, he knows your heart anyway. You might as well be honest with him. Put the heart out there. But they tend to turn to praise. And just I'll read it very quickly. How long will you forget me, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you refuse to accept me? How long must I wonder if you've forgotten me? How long must I feel this sadness in my heart? How long will my enemy win against me? Lord, my God, look at me. Answer my question. Let me know the answer or, or I will die. If that happens, my enemy will say, I beat him. My enemy would be happy if he, if he defeated me, Lord. I trusted in your love to help me. You saved me and made me happy. I sing a happy song to the Lord because he's done good things for me. He's, he's done good things for me. Even in the lament, David turns it. To praise. So I encourage you to think about my friend John Mark and others of your friends as, as we wrestle with this matter. It's not that you might want to bring all of this to somebody and say, hey, listen, <laughs> boom, boom, boom. How about if we can, by our presence, by our silence, by simple words and simple actions, God loves you. God loves you. Father, we pray to you now. I ask for your wisdom and direction. I stand before this beautiful congregation of believers. All kinds of circumstances, all kinds of situations in our lives, together, all of our lives. And you know us. And you love us. As we talk about this, I ask that you be with us. Let your Holy Spirit be strong among us. Let us remember Jesus and your love. And let us forget anything that is not true. But cling to you. I pray for this congregation. I pray for Pastor David and Susie. I pray for the deacons and all of the ministries. And together we pray for the search process. Isn't that exciting? And yet it's hard. I pray for that. I pray for the, the pastor that um, will come here. We don't know who that is yet. I don't. Or that family. But you do. And so we pray for them. And bless them in that transition. And may this congregation swallow them up in your love. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. All right. So let's... Let's continue uh, at, at one of our...
church plants. Ann and I have had ministry that has been sort of half in Arizona in the Sonoran Desert of Arizona and half in Middle, Middle Tennessee in the Nashville Music City area. Nashville. But that half in the desert was quite interesting and some of that working with large churches and some of that doing church plants. And at one of the church plants, we started a little hiking group called the Canyon Hikers. And I'm telling you, out in that desert... There are thorns everywhere. It seems like everything in the desert is dangerous. Now, no mosquitoes. So if you don't like mosquitoes, move to the desert. But scorpions, rattlesnakes, thorns everywhere. Everything you touch, you, you better watch out. Because it's, it's not uh, a friendly environment. But, but beautiful, gorgeous to hike through. The, the saguaro, the big, this is the famous Cactus with the arms stretched up. They can grow so huge. There was one that I, that I saw on one trail. It had maybe 30, 35 arms on it, and it would fill this room if you were to, to lay it on its side. Just huge, massive. There is the Ocotilla with the long fingers with the orange blossoms at the tip. There's the prickly pear. You know this. I'm just, I'm just refreshing your memory about all the things you could sit on and, and you could, could prick your skin. And there's the choya. And the choya might be my favorite. And it's, some people call it the teddy bear choya. It looks so cuddly, but don't cuddle. Some call it the jumping choya because if you walk too close to it, it's almost like it jumps out, <laughs> jumps out at you and the, the pieces stick to you. But I was hiking one day with the canyon hikers and, and uh, you kind of break off into little groups. But I was with a friend of mine named Garth Nash and Garth is a brilliant man. Lives in the Dallas area now, but Garth was working for Motorola out in Phoenix and he, um, he, has, he holds the patents to maybe a dozen inventions. One of those in the 1970s, those of you who are uh, <laughs> old enough would remember when you tried to get on the internet or tried to get on email even, the modem, the modem. Garth Nash holds the patent to the modem. Not that he got wealthy off of it. He was working for Motorola, but the guy's sharp, and we're walking along. I'm with Garth. We're just talking. He says, Tom, watch this. Came over to Achoya, and he took his thumb and his, his forefinger. He pinched a thorn, and he pulled, and a sheath came off. And he said, every thorn you see on these Choya has a sheath on it. And I said, because I knew Garth was brilliant, I said, Why? He said, I don't know. It's just another part of God's wonderful creation. It's like he went the second mile and just gave a little extra to the, to the choya. And I put a little picture of the sheath of one of these choya. And I'm doing a lot of talking about thorns, but I'm making a point here that there are thorns everywhere we go. If you go into a place that people think is a paradise, you go to whatever, watch where you sit. Because you might sit on a thorn. They're all over the world. Even found in the Bible. Now as you come into the scripture, listen to the words of Genesis 
There was the creation. There was the creation of Adam and Eve. There was the placement in the Garden of Eden. There was the command not to eat of a certain tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but eat of the tree of life. And then if, if you remember the serp serpent tempted Eve and Eve told Adam about it and they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and God looked for them in the garden and they were hiding. And then some things happened. And we call this the fall. When sin entered in and death entered in and God's redemptive love starts coming into play. But in the fall, he, here's the statement to the serpent, I will make you and the woman. And now I'm reading out of the uh, English version for the deaf. I love the New International Version, other translations. I, I try to read all of them that I can find. This one is one that's very um, simple. Some of my professors had been on the translation committee, so I, I go back to it from time to time, and I'm reading through this now, and so it's on my mind. But if you notice any difference, I'm reading through this different translation. I will make you and the woman enemies to each other. Your children and her children will be enemies. You will bite her child's foot, but he will crush your head. So the first reference to the redemptive power of Jesus Christ is right here. At the fall. To the serpent. You're going to do your damage. You will bite the seed of woman's heel. And he will crush your head. There will be victory. There will be pain and there will be victory as the seed of woman brings redemption. So, let's go on. And there was the, the statement to the woman, to Eve, that she would uh, have pain in childbirth. And then here's this, I commanded you to Adam, I commanded you not to eat from that tree, but you listened to your wife, you ate from that tree, so I will curse the ground because of you. You will have to work very hard all the days of your life for the, for the food the ground gives. The ground will grow thorns and weeds for you. Okay? So I, I look at the creation and wonder what in the world was it like before the fall? What was it like before thorns? But here is the creation of thorns. And then he says... And you will have to eat the plants that grow wild in the field. You will work hard for your food until your face is covered with sweat. You will work hard until the day you die. And then you will become dust again. I use dust to make you. And when you die, you will become dust again. So here is the fall of man. Here is the creation of thorns. And so I'm lay, laying a foundation here and thinking with you about this matter of things that prick the flesh, things that hurt. And I want you to think, are there other places in Scripture where there are thorns? And I'm going to take you to one of those places. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 
Paul's thorn in the flesh. Interestingly enough, in the English version for the deaf, they don't translate it as thorn, but as a painful problem. Because I think the translators are thinking, yeah, maybe it wasn't a literal thorn, but a painful problem. But listen to this. I must continue to boast. It won't help. But I will talk now about visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who was taken up to the third heaven. This happened 14 years ago. He knows a lot about it. It happened 14 years ago, he says. I don't know if the man was in his body or out of his body. But God knows. I know that this man was taken up to paradise. I don't know if he was in his body or away from his body. But he heard things which he's not able to explain. He heard things that no man is allowed to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I'll not boast about myself. I'll boast only about my weaknesses. But if I wanted to boast about myself, I would not be a fool. I would not be a fool because I would be telling the truth. But I won't boast about myself. Why? Because I don't want people to think more of me than what they see me do or hear me say. But I must not become too proud of the wonderful things that were shown to me. So a painful problem, that's our word thorn, was given to me. That problem is an angel from Satan, the devil. And it is sent to beat me and to keep me from being too proud. I begged the Lord three times to take this problem away from me, but the Lord said to me, My grace, kindness is enough for you. When you are weak, then my power is made perfect in you. So I'm very happy to boast about my weaknesses. Then Christ's power can live in me. So I'm happy when I have weaknesses. I'm happy when people say bad things to me. I'm happy when I have hard times. I'm happy when people treat me badly. And I'm happy when I have problems. All these things are for Christ. And I'm happy with these things. Because when I'm weak, then I'm truly strong. I'm not making this up. (laughs) This is not me. It's not me saying what I want to say. And it's not me talking about myself. I'm I'm not always happy. And it doesn't take much of a thorn to do it. But the Apostle Paul, in his journey to maturity, is saying, all right, I've told you. He's talking to the Corinthian believers. It's his second letter to them. The first letter, he had a lot of instruction. They had a lot of problems going on. A lot of problems. And there was one problem of of sexual immorality, even including incest. And he says, "You, you must rebuke that person. And then in this second letter, he's saying, you've rebuked. Now the person has changed. Now forgive. And so there's this message of the grace of it. Now forgive. Don't, don't just send the person to hell. You know, forgive and let the grace of God flow. Require them to live right, but forgive. And so he's writing the second time. 
And there are those that are evidently criticizing him and coming strong against the Apostle Paul. You're, you're, are you really an apostle? Are you really uh, as good as Peter? Are you really as good as John? Are you really as good as some of the others? And he, in the previous chapter, talks about the, the number of shipwrecks, the number of imprisonments, the number of times he was beaten, the time when he was stoned and he was near death, and all the different struggles that he had. And here he says, wow. I guess really, I'm really nothing. And there was the time, and he brings it here, there was the time, I know this man 14 years ago who was called up into the third heaven. I don't know if he was in the body or out of the body. It was so real. But boy, did he see some things. And he's not allowed to talk about it. So as we look at this and as he shares with this, I don't want us to get sidetracked about who's the man called up to the third heaven. I, I, I believe it's Paul. I believe he's, he's referencing something that, that he experienced. And though he, he doesn't really want to brag, but he's saying, I know. And then he talks about how there was a thorn given to him because of this revelation. And I wouldn't want us to get sidetracked about what is the thorn, is it his eyesight, is it some other uh, affliction that he had, is it some injury that he incurred by beating or by stoning, or what, it, what is it that he experienced. We don't know all of that, but it was something that bothered the Apostle Paul to the point that he was begging God and lamenting. He's begging. And he's saying, please. God, do you hear me? Am I nothing? Are the shipwrecks nothing? Is the beating nothing? Is the stoning nothing? Do you hear anything? And I'm, a, I'm able to do these other miracles for other people. And here I sit with this thorn. And, and, and here I sit with my thorn. And three times he begged. And three times God said, no. No. My grace my grace is enough. Whew. Could you say that with me? My grace is Would you want to say that? My grace is enough. Enough? I've got a lot of other requests. I've got a lot of other things I'm concerned about. But the idea that God's grace is enough. That God is enough. That fellowship with God is enough. That it's something so rich and so important and so eternal that it's enough. It's, it's amazing to me to just think about it. And I think about Paul's experience with the thorn and the grace of God. And I think about this idea that it was more substantial of him dealing with the thorn and having this revelation from God that, the, that God's grace is enough. That seems to be, to, in this passage at least, to be more substantial than what he experienced in paradise because at least, at least he can talk about the thorn. He can talk about the grace of God. He can't even talk about paradise. It's not something he can pass on. It's not something, and I'd like to know about it. What did you see? What is there? And we're not told. The important thing, 
The more substantial thing is that with the thorn, God's grace is sufficient. The pain, the thorn is more shareable. God's grace is enough. And I put, boom. That's the point. Paul had experienced the grace of God. And he's sharing the grace of God. He can talk about the struggles. He can talk about the pains. He can talk about a thorn. I I wonder if as he talked or wrote about it, I wonder if they even knew probably what that thorn was, possibly. But he couldn't share about paradise. It was something he couldn't even share. So here is something for us to ponder. Let me give you, I'm going to give you six things. So hang on. It won't take long. Six things for us to ponder. And the first one is, all of us have thorns. You're going through something. I'm going through something. You won't be the first one. And you won't be the last one. To go through what you're going through. We all have thorns. In fact, I had one person put it to me this way. If you were to to put all of my thorns, all of my struggles in a pile in front of me. Put all of yours in a pile in front of you. All of yours, Reuben, in a pile in front of you. Put all of these thorns, all these struggles in a pile in front of all of us. Put our own separate pile and now say... Choose your pile. I would choose my pile. I was made for my pile of thorns. And we all have them. Second, it's okay (laughs) to ask God to remove them. And God is the way maker. He's the miracle worker. He is. And you've seen it. And I've seen it. But sometimes, and you've seen it, sometimes he says no. Okay? On this one, no. My grace is enough. But it's okay to ask him. It's not a a lack of faith to ask him. I've had people struggle with that. I've uh, I remember one time calling all the members of this congregation that I was working with, and we had uh, up around a thousand members, and I was just calling each one, just not all at, not all in one day, but just one at a time. Is there any way that I can pray for you? And one couple said, "Could we come and talk to you? We feel guilty for praying to ask about this thorn." People sometimes feel bad asking and think that it's a lack of faith. If it's in your heart, if it's in your heart to ask God to remove it, why not be honest with Him? Because He knows what's there anyway. Struggle with Him. Wrestle with Him. Be honest with Him. Third, sharing your struggle is a gift. Uh, I've shared a few things with a few of you. A few of you have shared a few things with me. And I know that you haven't shared all of it. You've given me one thorn. You've shown me one thorn out of your pile. And I've shown you one thorn out of my pile. And that's a gift. 
tell you about a buddy. I've got his name up there, Daryl Lanham. Daryl was the worship leader for this large congregation. I had the blessing of being uh, the lead minister or pastor for. And Daryl was a, a great individual. I say was, and he still is, but he's gone on to meet his maker. But Daryl was robust, he was strong, he was red-headed, he was everything you would want in a, in a strong man. And good sense of humor. And he was our worship leader. And he got cancer. And he told us about it. And one day he said, well, I'm going to have surgery tomorrow. And that would be Monday. And so he had surgery on Monday. It was brain cancer. And he had surgery on his brain. And they removed the cancer. And by the next Sunday, he was standing before us again, leading in worship. And I'm talking about he was a physical specimen. He was able to get through that surgery, get back up and, and lead in worship. And his heart was there as well. But he went to MD Anderson in Houston. This was where he would talk to uh, a group of doctors. And they recommended a, a, what he called a biotherapy. And it was this, there was this device that he carried with him that pumped through his body. And I don't know much about that, but he had it. He came up one Sunday, and he bumped the lectern with it, and he plopped it up here. And he says, um, I want you to meet Fred. <laughs> Fred's going to be with me a while. I thought about naming it Sally, but Debbie didn't like that. <laughs> This is Fred, and he's going to be hanging out with me, and he'll be doing his work. And he led us, he put us at ease, and we worshiped. And a few weeks later, he came in, and there was no hair, there was no hair on his head as he came up to the lectern. And he says, have you ever had a bad hair day? And he put us at ease. And we worshipped. And as time went on, and as he got weaker and weaker, it would be the last Sunday that he would lead us in worship. And there was quite a bit of rambling because it was affecting his mind, and we, but we wanted to hear from him. And I'm so glad we did because there was a statement within that ramble that has stuck with me and will forever. When he said, and how do you say this? He said, I used to ask God to take my cancer away. Now I'm just thanking him for it. It's a gift. And he turned it over to God. And that was his last statement to the church. And we worshiped. So if you can share any piece of your struggle, it becomes a gift. I want you to know that God's grace is enough. St. Teresa of Avila said, did I write the Spanish correctly? It's kind of strange. I'm starting, I, I told, and this is dangerous. I'm putting Spanish words up. I don't speak much Spanish. I'm starting to dream in Spanish. And it's troubling. It's like, what am I saying? But here, solo Dios basta. Is it God alone? 
is enough? That's it? God alone is enough. That's what the apostle wanted us to know. He could not tell us about paradise, but, but he could say, God is enough. He's enough. And God's strength is made obvious in our weakness. It becomes that point when I know that I'm totally helpless. It will have to be God. I have no power. Involuntary fasting sets in because I'm so upset. I have no power over this. There's nothing I can do. That's when God can do his thing. And sometimes it's yes, and sometimes it's no. But another point, this is the number six. One more place where thorns show up in the Bible. Pilate's soldiers brought Jesus into the governor's palace. They called all the other soldiers together. The soldiers put a purple robe on Jesus. Then they used thorny weeds To make a crown. They put the crown of thorns on Jesus' head. Then they called to Jesus. They said, hello, king of the Jews. The soldiers hit Jesus on the head many times with a stick. They also spit on him. Then they teased Jesus by bowing on their knees and worshiping him. After they finished teasing Jesus, the soldiers took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led Jesus out of the palace. To be killed on a cross. Wearing. A crown. Of thorns. Wearing. That. Symbol. Of the fall. The symbol. Of death. The symbol of sin. And he's wearing it in a victory wreath. Interesting thing about the crowns of the Bible. There's the diadem that is the royal crown. There's the Stephanus that is the crown. That's the the runner's victory wreath. And that's any crown made out of a plant. And so this is the Stephanos. The victory wreath made out of thorns that Jesus War on the cross for our sins. And the grave did not hold him. The bite hurt. But it was a bite on the heel. He was dead. It was lethal. He was dead. But it wasn't the end of the story. He resurrected. And there was the crushing blow to the serpent. In the work of God, in his redemptive power, as Jesus brings redemption for our sins, as God moves and calls and chooses and the Spirit fills us and seals us and brings us to himself, and as we wrestle with everything in life, as we journey with him and we try to walk through the thorns, hanging on to God and knowing, listen, knowing, That his grace is enough. 
Father, we praise you. It, it always seems awkward for me to praise you for the death of your son. Because that hurt you more than I can imagine. But thank you that he wore the crown of thorns. That he endured the cross. That he gained the victory. And that up from the dead he arose. There is resurrection. There is life. There is something beyond all of this. And your grace is enough. Thank you, Father. Bless each of us as we deal with our thorns. Thank you. In the name of Christ, amen.